Uh, welcome back to a brand new episode of Two Please. I'm your host Sabin, and I'm your co-host Rohit. Okay, now uh, before we begin with this episode, a small bit of backstory as to why today's episode is today's episode. So last week, Rohit and I were texting each other as we do, and Rohit was watching uh, a movie from a franchise that I consider to be one of the best franchises ever made. I haven't seen the third installment that he was watching, but the second installment, in my personal opinion, is like pure cinematic art, and that is. Bad Boys Two, Michael Bay's Bad Boys Two, and the Bad Boys franchise. Rohit is rolling his eyes at me um, on the screen right now. For those of you who are listening to this on audio, see, uh, <laughs> if I were to talk about Bad Boys for Life, it will go against the mood of what this episode is about. So <laughs> I don't want to get into it because, yeah, but that's anyway, a rant for so, another day. But anyway, so. that got me thinking about franchises you, you know how in april like almost every year there are blockbuster releases and in the last 10 years specifically there have only been um, blockbusters that have invariably been sequels to famous properties or famous uh, films right so i thought you know what why why don't we extend that idea to the podcast as well so april for the two please listeners is going to be sequel month but we do part 2 episodes for some of our most favorite and most beloved episodes uh, that we've done so far you can call us lazy i'm choosing to call us such a like, such a roundabout way to say hey we're we're going to be lazy this month guys just such a roundabout uh, we are not lazy i am not saying we're lazy. i'm just like i just think of an idea i'm thinking like a studio head right now you know i'm just thinking what worked and how can we make things <laughs> make that work better I don't know about you, Abin. I've had my wisdom tooth removed two weeks ago, so for the good part of the last two weeks, I've not had sleep because I've been waking up at night because of the pain. I don't know when I'm awake, when I'm asleep. I'm in a daze. So, sure, we can call it sequelitis. We can call it laziness. It is what it is. <laughs> we're doing part two, guess, guys. That's what we're doing this yeah. month. Well, I mean, considering what. what's been happening to you i guess the today's topic is is quite topical to put it bluntly um and you're looking for that feel good factor and uh, something that serves as some sort of comfort in these uh, you know in, in in these irritating times and to be honest i am also only watching comfort <laughs> movies at this point or comfort television maybe that's a lie because i did binge the sopranos over two weeks watch it for that episode coming in may But anyway, I let's that's all besides the point. This is feel good movies for the soul part 2. Let's start the show. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. that intro yes uh, somehow <laughs> somehow now uh, let's get on with the movies you guys know the drill by now abin and i both have a list of movies we have a short slightly shorter list today so maybe we'd spend a little more time on each movie or the episode might be shorter we don't know but yeah, I mean, uh, we're, we're going to go we've gone back to the to the good old days of of the 3 plus 3 you know like yes. the, the the early days of the podcast where we do about six films and we kind of break them down 
expect that number to dwindle considerably over the next couple of months. I expect both of us to start deep diving films very, very soon. And yes, yes, we're going to start area. doing that. Yeah, and so six can become three, three can become two, two can become one. So who knows? Let's and we start becoming more bourgeois using deep terms, very yes, hardcore I'm film theory. We're joking, guys. Have, we're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, we could we totally could you know we could yeah we can juxtapose the scenarios I don't know whatever <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying okay cool let us uh, okay. begin let us okay, fast let's begin drum roll okay who's starting am I going or are you going first go 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 uh, okay I guess I'll go and I'll go chronologically because all the three films I have are in the early 2000s if you haven't like if you've been listening to the podcast now for like for a considerable amount of time, you need to understand that I am a 2000s junkie. Yeah, the, the junkies, common feedback that I've got for all our soundtrack episodes, everything, everything is like, so Rao, you go from, like you've gone from 50s, 60s, 70s, you've got a spirit. Abhin is only in like 2000s, man. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm like, dude, I was, thing is, I'm always, always thinking of my listener base. I'm like, if I go back to, if Rohit and I both go back to the 50s, People will switch off. Like I need to like, yeah, for the that's, sake true. Of our, that's true. Yeah. For, for the sake of our <laughs> fan base, fan base, um, <laughs> I must sacrifice my, my taste at the altar of listenership. And people are very okay. pissed off that, uh, we didn't talk about John Williams at all. Just saying note for the next episode. Oh, the yeah, soundtracks okay, part two. Yeah. They were like sound part two. Three, I don't even, okay, I, I, let, we'll figure it out. No, that's Hindi English, it's all. Okay, anyways, yeah. whatever. Let's, uh, coming back to the episode at hand, I mean, yes, yes. let's do the okay. first movie. <laughs> all right, so I am a 2000s junkie. All three of my movies are between 2001 to 2003. As a matter of fact, the second and third movie both came out in 2003. 2003 was a great year for me, film-wise, because I had these two films and I had Return of the King, which won 11 Oscars. So, mm. uh, Great, great time to be a movie buff. Seventh standard old me. Anyway, uh, let's get to my first film on the list, and that is uh, 2001's Ocean's Eleven, starring Josh Clooney, Brad Pitt, uh, Bonnie Mack, Don Cheadle, uh, Casey Affleck, Scott Kahn, um, who, who like uh, Elliot Gould, like Julia Roberts. How can I forget Andy Garcia? Andy Garcia. Hey, Julia Roberts was in the second. Oh, yeah, she was in the first one as well. Oh, yeah, she she's, yeah, she's that's the love interest. She's oh yeah, correct, correct. She's there in both. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she's there in all. No, she's not there in the third one. Yeah, yeah, correct. She's in the second one and the first one. So uh, we've all seen Ocean's Eleven. I feel like this is a movie that our parents saw, said, "Oh damn, oh damn, cool." And then when we reached a certain age, they're like, "We well, should watch that." That was a lot of fun. And we've watched it and uh, it has a great twist ending, but it, it's not one of those um, films that is only remember, remembered for its twist. It's remembered for being a very cool, breezy film. Like you just, you're never bored for a second. Like it's just very in, cool. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Uh, and it's Steven Soderbergh at this point was like, this was hardly something you would associate with him, right? Because he'd done a bunch of indie films at, I think he'd done what Sex Lies and Videotape by then. Yeah. And he was very much an underground filmmaker. And in comes um, Ocean's Eleven, big, big budget, big stars. Like this is Josh Clooney coming off the back of, of Batman. You could say this movie almost revived his career because 97's Batman was yeah. almost tanked it. Uh, and a huge star cast of names. I forgot to include Matt Damon. Matt Damon is also in this movie. 
Um, and this, it tells the story of a guy named Danny Ocean who decides to pull off a heist in Las Vegas one night in a bit to get back at this dude who stole his girlfriend. That's really the premise of the film. Uh, yeah. And what really makes it is the camaraderie between the 11, uh, the 11 characters in the film as well as um, the the back and forth between Andy Garcia and Danny Ocean. The pace of the film keeps sticking along, as I mentioned. The soundtrack is amazing. I think it's a it's a very unique soundtrack, and this is almost this is almost like a like a Stoderberg trait. Most of his films have really memorable soundtracks. You'd have them go, you'd have yourself go and Google what that is, mm-hmm. where that's from. You'd probably search for a lyric, and the twist at the end is. I still laugh at it. Like it is one of those really funny. What the hell? This is damn hilarious. This is this. This I could. I didn't see that coming. Uh, moments in 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 film history. Such a such a fun time. Like I, I remember each time I watch it, I crack up. It's it's it's, it's one of the best. It should have been <laughs> on the plot twist episodes, but eh, I forgot. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. I mean, it is a good plot twist, but like you said, the. The plot twist is not the reason you remember the movie or not the reason the movie became a hit or stands out or whatever. It's not the the focal point of the movie, so to speak. Um, for me, I feel I, when I watched the movie, I remember it had this sort of very classic golden age feel to it, like 60s cinema. Mm. I mean, obviously, down the, it was only later I, I found out that it was a remake of a 60s uh, movie which starred Frank Sinatra. Uh, mm-hmm. There's an Ocean's Eleven from the 60s. So and it has yeah. that sort of old world feel to it. Uh, you know, big stars, larger than life personas. Uh, I, I don't know how it, I, I can't articulate it, but it's got that old worldish feel. And like you said, I mm-hmm. and this is something I observed about uh, Steven Soderbergh's screenplays. Regardless of how the script is, in the sense, how what the story of the film is, Sometimes it can be hit or miss with him. But the way that story translates to a screenplay, Soderbergh movies are so smooth. Mm-hmm. It's so slick, like scene to scene and even within the scene, the dialogue back and forth. His his characters are wisecracks, but they're not unbelievably so. You know how, yeah. like I, I don't like that aspect of Aaron Sorkin movies because I'm like, if people were this witty in real life, they're not right. If people are this big, mm-hmm. everyone would be fighting because everyone would be like quipping on each other, and you know. So he balances that out, sort of. His, his characters are likable, smart, but not annoying, mm-hmm. uh, or not annoyingly so. And it's just the way the screenplay floats along almost. And this is something I've seen in a lot of his movies: uh, Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve. Not so much Ocean's Thirteen. Uh, Logan Lucky, uh, another mm-hmm. movie of his that I really love. Again, a heist movie. I think mm-hmm. in the current generation, I think nobody does heist movies better than Soderbergh. But again, yeah. you see the same thing there. He has very standout characters in Logan Lucky and the, the story is great. It's a screenplay. You're just, you don't realize you know, the movie's progressing forward. Before you know it, hey, it's the climax and it's over. And you're like, wow, I had a great time watching it. And it also, I don't know, the smoothness of the screenplay also adds to the rewatchability, I feel. There's so some watching really the movie nice, like, yeah, there's, there's some really nice trivia bits in there that you that you pick up as you go back, um, you know, and rewatch it from time to time. This movie could also be a classic rewatchable because it very much is. 
But if you remember, yeah. they, they reveal the entire plot or rather the the entire plan of the heist in the first film where at the start of the film, Brad Pitt tells Josh Clooney that to pull the whole thing off, they're going to need a Bosky, a Jim Brown, a Miss Daisy, two Jethro's, uh, a Leon Spinks, and uh, not to mention the biggest Ella Fitzgerald ever. Breaking that down, uh, a Bosky, it refers to this guy who committed securities fraud back in Wall, in Wall Street a couple of decades ago. And uh, uh, Saul playing uh, Lyman Zerga, as opposed to the guy who pretends to be somebody else uh, to get into the casino is, is that bit. Um, a Jim Brown is um, some sort of a confrontation, which I think Bernie Mac's character does. It's, it's a reference to the, to the footballer. Miss Daisy driving Miss Daisy. They need a getaway car. So uh, Miss Daisy, two Jethro's, refers to the two brothers played by Casey Affleck and, uh, and Scott, Scott Kahn. Uh, a Leon Spinks uh, refers to the, to the fight where Leon Spinks... Uh, beat Muhammad Ali and in the middle of the uh, of the fight, the power went off. So, Ocean's Eleven, when the power goes off, that's also, that plays a huge part in, in the heist. Yeah. And not to mention the biggest Ella Fitzgerald ever. So, there was an ad for something called Memorax and um, what Ella Fitzgerald, and the ad featured Ella Fitzgerald breaking uh, a glass. and Glass by singing. Yeah, by singing, yeah. And uh, it was the question at the end was, was it live or was that Memorax? And, that refers to the whole videotape reveal at the end of, of Ocean's Eleven. For those of you who haven't uh, seen it, that's all I'll say. Um, but that's basically the plot of the entire film. So it was quite kind of funny that they revealed the entire thing in the first 10 minutes. I'm a big fan of movies that do this and like, and then expect you to go to come back to it later and be like, oh, that's what they meant. And, you know, it, it's like a little breadcrumb tale for those of you who decide to yeah. invest your time. Uh, into the movie. So I'm a big, big fan of that. Definitely one of my favorite comfort films. I might just end up watching it after we finished recording this episode because it really is that much fun. I agree. I agree. I think it also has come on cable television. I, mean, I don't think any any of us watch cable television anymore, but it used to come on Star World and stuff quite often. So whenever it was on, I'd always let it play. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Might as well. So I agree. Oh. Definitely mm-hmm. watch while you great comfort film. Okay, uh, let's move on to yours. What do you've got, Kapla? Uh So my first movie that I want to talk about is a 2001 French movie uh, called Amelie uh, by oh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet, mm. uh, starring Audrey Tattoo, uh, mm. set primarily in Paris. I mean, pretty much entirely in Paris. Um, I don't know how to describe the plot of the movie because the movie has a plot, so to speak. It has a linear story flow. But the movie is not really about the plot, right? So it's about mm-hmm. this idiosyncratic girl called Amelie who kind of daydreams a lot and she she lives a very, I don't know, she works in a cafe, she lives in, a, in her own world Bub- a lot and mm-hmm. she likes to, she's very bubbly, kind of, is she on the spectrum? I don't know, she's just weird. She's a little mm-hmm. off kilter and she <laughs> likes to impact the lives of people around her. So... I mean, if I were to be very pedantic, I'd say the movie is a rom-com in the sense that, yes, there is somebody that over the course of the movie, she falls in love with and etc. But that's really not the point of the movie. It is, uh, like I said, it's it's about the city of Paris. It's about this girl who's in the city of Paris and a bunch of feel-good, happy stories uh, that come out of her interaction with other Parisians. Mm-hmm. Uh and it is a movie that both myself and Poonam like a lot. In fact, I think Poonam likes the movie a lot more than I do. Right above it, we have this nice big poster of uh, Audrey Tattoo with the whole spoon thing. You know the you know the scene. Yeah, I know, the, the poster. Yeah, yeah. Huh. 
yeah 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 so that's right there in our bedroom uh weird uh but um the other reason why we, uh, we recently not recently a couple of years ago when we went to uh, paris uh, when when the both of us were both of us were in paris in fact we did a walking tour of uh, montmartre which is where the movie is predominantly set uh, mm-hmm. they showed us the cafe uh, i forgot the name cafe du moulin or cafe du rouge or something uh, where amelie's character works and in fact mm-hmm. the walk has now sort of incorporated the emily lord not that montmartre required emily to be famous it's where yeah, of course where it's mm. where all the artists live picasso lived there it was the artistic center of paris so i mean even stand alone the walking tour was beautiful i remember it was it was a dusk walking tour so the sun was setting and uh, finally after years of aspiring for it finally bought a, a trench coat that day and I, i must say i was looking quite suave that evening <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, it was i remember it was a very beautiful uh, evening we walked and uh, all of the places were whichever was amiri related i remember poonam was like uh, super fascinated with it it was a great evening in fact even the next day uh, next morning we went to uh, the canal saint martin which is mm-hmm. another prominent location in the in the film uh i mean unexpectedly so amiri became a big part of our paris agenda which was nice uh mm-hmm. and in the course of that again i didn't know poonam like that movie as much it was during the course of those four days in paris and i was like oh i didn't know poonam also loves the movie so we ended up chatting about it a lot so for reasons beyond just the movie also obviously it it holds a fond place in my heart because of those memories of the trip but uh, coming back mm-hmm. to the movie like i said i i It's hard for me to explain the plot. It's just her impacting the lives of other people. There's a story involving a garden gnome that travels the world. There's a there's a whole plot where uh, she tries to set up her friend with somebody else that she knows. So you know, it's all these mm. micro or mini plots uh, that are that make up the movie. And uh, it's a good watch. I, I don't know how else to put it. Uh, it's not very story driven. It's it's more of a watching experience. That's the only way I can put it. Mm-hmm. What do you think? So mm-hmm. this is this is a film I haven't really seen, so I don't know if I can comment on on it. Also, has a great soundtrack. Amelie has a great oh, really? soundtrack. It's, so it's got it's, that Paris cafe feel. So I remember whenever we were in cafes, there we're like, "Hey, is this room?" I mean, it wasn't. We were just being clearly not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a, but it has that that sense of whimsy attached to it, right? It's, it's yes, got that, yes, yes. It's a very whimsical uh, movie. That's the best adjective mm-hmm. for it. It. I, th- I think it also reminds me of the of that was it uh, uh, the Louis Malle movie the uh, Zazi in Paris was it or is it something along those yes. lines? Yes, Zazi in Paris is a Louis Malle movie. I don't know. Zazi in the in metro. It's oh, Zazi yeah, yeah, in the yeah. metro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Louis Malle, and in terms of like this was Wes Anderson credits uh, Zazi in the metro as one of his biggest influences mm. in mm. terms of st- stylistic choices, and from what I've seen of both films, they. There's some sort of a mirror there, uh, and and it's it's always intrigued me. I just haven't had the time to find it and sit sit down and watch it. So it's definitely on a list somewhere. In fact, that reminds me. Amelie also has a great color palette. Lots of very mm. vibrant red screens in the movie. It's it's very nice, and uh, great use of background foliage and stuff. Cinematography. I would say specifically framing of shots is really nice throughout the movie. So. I think we were really primed to go to Paris because of watching the movie. Obviously, there are a hundred other movies around Paris, but for yeah, us, this was our window into the city. We we're like, hey, okay, this is how we're going to view it. 
Was it what before sunset is also set in Paris, or is it before sunrise? Which is the first one? I think the first one is set in Paris. Before sun. Sunrise. Before sun. Before sunrise. Before sunrise. Right. right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's yeah, set in yeah. Paris. You're right. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of uh, Paris-heavy movies, and I guess it must have been like, oh, this that. It's almost like. Uh, I mean, the big metrop, the metropolitan cities have that feel about them, right? And like where the city itself plays a character in some of the most iconic films. And I think, you, and, and from what I gather, normally the city of Paris is very much a prominent character in, in this story. Yes, yes, it is. It is. So, shall we move on? Have we, anything more to add? No, that's it. Watch Emily. That's all. That's the only thing I had. Okay, that's that's on my. It's it has been on my list for a very long time. I just need to find it and sit down and watch it. Now, uh, speaking of Richard Linklater, I one of the next movie on my list. I did not know for years was a Richard Linklater movie because it's it's not the kind of film you would associate with with Richard Linklater, right? Uh, and that is 2003 School of Rock. Now, this mm. is a film I have seen a countless number of times. I yeah. saw it on Broadway as well uh, as as a Broadway. It was a Broadway musical and was oh, wow. a lot of fun a couple of years ago, and. It, it it captured obviously you it miss you miss the Jack Black energy because Jack Black's um, um, character Dewey he has this that is this kind of energy that only Jack Black can bring. Anyone else can try to match it, but it's not quite Jack Black. Right? I don't know if the movie or even the Broadway adaptation works without that energy. Does it? it I don't does. know how it does really, it translate to okay. It it really works, and because it wasn't just—I mean—the guy who played Dewey Finn was was pretty good, and it, I think. But what really sold the film, uh, the the play, as much as the movie with the kids, the kids were phenomenal. Mm. Like they were, must have been eight, nine-year-old children who were playing music live on stage. Uh, oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and so it was—it was a whole thing, and I was just like, "Wow, this is this is amazing. This is next level shit." But let's get back to the film. So the film is. Uh, directed by Richard Linklater and written by Mike White of White Lotus Flame, uh, fame. He is oh, yeah. also in the film. Yeah, he plays he plays yes. Ned Schwebly, the main like the guy who's supposed to be the substitute teacher. Now, for the story of School of Rock is is this guy who was part of a band doesn't really have a job, and his band ends up kicking him out, or rather, in the process of kicking him out because he's creating a ruckus on stage. Uh, he's behind on rent, and then one day. Uh, uh, someone calls uh, um, his roommate for a, to come in as a substitute teacher. His, his roommate teaches. Uh, play, that's Mike White and his girlfriend Sarah Silverman. Um, wow, this movie is, is loaded with stars. And Jack Black decides to like pretend to be his roommate, Ned Weebly, and goes and teaches uh, a group of like of middle schoolers. And with no like, he just goes in there for a paycheck. He meets Joan Cusack, who's the principal. And obviously, I love very, her role in the movie. Yeah, yeah, she's she's very like you know stuck up like as principals are, are supposed to be, and after that, I mean, obviously he's he's just messing around, and then one day he sees them in band practice and decides to start teaching them music. And in preparation to join the battle of the bands at the end of uh, at the end of the semester or end of the year, and it's a trip, right? It's it's such a, yeah. a fun fun film because. The one thing I really like about this film, and this is what this is two thousand three. No one's really talking about representation. Nobody's beating anyone on the head with rep- about representation. This movie does representation so perfectly in terms of it never. It always shows. It never tells. 
and it really highlights a lot of the characters, a lot of um, uh, who come from different backgrounds very well, like their insecurities, uh, their parental upbringings, like their, their challenges. And, and I remember thinking, connecting with that, with that was so well. And of course, you have Zach, who is like the lead guitarist, who has a musical talent, but his parents aren't very happy about it. And so much, so much of it is going on. And they really managed to give these little children who are more so often than not used as as props to just look. I mean, they they made to look like these cutesy characters that you know that get oz and oohs out of you. You really care for these characters. They have some. They're fully fleshed out. Yeah, they're exactly. And by the end of the film, when they do ultimately end up playing Zach's song, which it's a song that I still sing in when I'm driving or I'm going by, and I must have heard that song like what five six times because I must have watched the movie around those many times, and it's and I rem- almost remember it word for word, right? It, it's such a catchy, fun mm-hmm. song, and it comes at a, such a fun part of the film. Uh, a, a real nice, heartwarming watch, in in my opinion. I absolutely love this film. Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the the critics' consensus says Black's exuberant, uh, gleeful performance turns School of Rock into hilarious, rocking good time. And I couldn't agree more. What a fun, fun film! True. I think I remember I I chanced upon this film the first time. I didn't seek it out. I didn't know what it was about. I was like, hey, Jack. I used to vaguely like Jack Black then because I'd watched. I think the first Jack Black movie I remember distinctly watching was Shallow Hal. Mm-hmm. I was like, hey, this guy's funny. So then I saw School of Rock on TV. I was like, okay, let's let's check this out. Let's see what it's about. And uh, as I was watching the movie, I was just like, hey, what's going on? Like, again, similar to Ocean's Eleven, it's a very easy, the story just plays out. You're watching. I'm like, I remember thinking, what is happening and why am I enjoying this so much? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I think in that movie, I also realized Jack Black is as good a singer as an actor, probably even better. And uh, Jack Black brings the right sort of manic energy, I feel, you know, because you could easily do a, again, I'm not saying it's a bad example. I mean, it's not a bad performance, but you could easily, there's, there's the Al Pacino in Heat kind of manic energy, which really wouldn't suit this film, yeah. right? The flavor of mania that Jack Black brings to this film is amazing. And... Uh, on a related, sort of related note, for those of you who don't know, Jack Black is also in a band called Tenacious D. Yeah. Uh, if you like kind of, I don't know what their genre is. It's like alt rock, I guess. But yeah, like they, they love Dio, they love Black Sabbath. They make that kind of music, but it's not too heavy. Uh, and uh, I mean, you guys should check them out if you like that sort of music. Um mm-hmm. So yeah, Jack Black does that and I completely agree. School of Rock is such a fun watch, if nothing else. I mean, that's the simplest way to put it. It's just a very fun movie. Yeah, it's, I have a blast with it. Like I mentioned, every time I, I watch it. Um, so it's up there. It's it's uh, it's definitely a very feel-good film. And if you haven't watched it, I implore you find it and check it out. If you have a VPN subscription, uh, there's a website called unogs.com. That's U-N-O-G-S which tells you in which country a movie is streaming on Netflix and you can just switch your server to that country and watch Netflix happily. So not, we're not sponsored. No, no, but no one is sponsoring us. Neither Unogs nor any VPN <laughs> service, but just FYI, if, if you can't find it on your, on your local um, streaming platforms. But okay, let's, uh, let's move into yours. 
Mm, I think it's a good segue to talk about my second movie. Speaking as you were looking at uh, ways to circumvent the law and uh, mm. con your way into watching movies, uh, the second movie I want to talk about is a Hindi film about a fairly elaborate con. Yeah, fairly elaborate con, but that's again not what the movie is about. I I I don't really know how to describe it. I'm talking about 2000s Hera Fairy, directed by Priya mm. Darshan. Starring uh, Sunil Shetty, Akshay Kumar. I'm so, but I'm so most glad you put this famous. on the on the list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but most famously, Paresh Rawal, who plays uh, Babu Rao, Ganpat Rao, Apte, uh, probably one of the greatest cinematic characters in for me. I mean, I'm no no exaggeration here. Probably top three funniest characters in Hindi cinema history. Oh, for and sure. Yeah. Even greatest cinema characters, he's up there. So memorable, so quotable. I still know lines from the movie. by heart i remember the the i think hera fairy was the first time when um i actually had a you know a belly ache from laughing mm. i remember i was yeah. i was i distinctly remember i was in dubai i was sitting on the floor and i was watching the movie on the yeah, on the television and i was laughing so hard that my i got stomach cramps and i literally keeled over i was lying on the floor and i and i couldn't stop laughing i'm like i'm in pain but this is just too funny <laughs> like yeah, for, for me for sure. like this is like this is like snatch for our generation in the sense that before we watch snatch obviously i watch snatch much later in life but this is that movie where you know if if i start quoting now i'll just go down that rabbit hole of just continuously quoting the movie because just all of those memories flood back to you know again i'm just going to get i'm just going to dive into it but every okay. time somebody asks for uh, what what fisheries is that uh shit star fisheries star fisheries yeah. correct uh so the whole there's this one uh, comic device in the movie where it's not just comic device it's what it's what leads to the main plot where in the phone book uh baburao ganpatrao te paresh raval owns star garage and star fisheries mm. is uh uh somebody is a different business entity and the numbers are switched so this guy gets wrong mm. number for uh, star fisheries i yeah, forgot the name of the name devi prasad Devi Prasad. So every time he gets a call saying Devi Prasad, hey, and throughout the movie, Pareshawal gets more and more irritated, <laughs> and he gives Devi outlandish Prasad. replies. There's one time where and Devi Prasad start fishing. Obviously, they sell fish. So somebody asks him, "Machli ka kya hua?" And Pareshawal is like, "Machli, wo to main mast tail mein fry karke kha gaya. Kya karoge?" <laughs> and this other time, somebody calls him. <laughs> देवी प्रसाद है नहीं वो तो कल चल बसे रख तेरी माँ की रख ऑलिंगलीस्टिंग It it looked like a thriller. I remember read these we lived in Fraser Town when this movie came out in ninety eight, ninety eight, ninety nine, right? Ninety nine, two thousand, yeah. Around around that era, because we were staying at, at our older home, and I and the day you know back in the day when they would print out like movie releases saying releases today, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. Hera Fairy, there, there was a picture of like a black background with Akshay Kumar and 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 Sunil Shetty facing on uh, I mean opposite each other. With the dice in the middle and said Hera Fairy, and I was like, "This looks like a thriller." And I even remember where I watched it. I watched it at the Ajanta Theatre, which is no longer running films, 
but uh, in um, uh, near, near Commercial Street, the amount I have laughed, and I didn't understand Hindi very well back in the day, even for someone who had very little knowledge of it, the amount I have laughed in this film, and for generations and, and for, of people have laughed, have laughed at this film. I watched this movie nearly every decade. Then Hera Feri came out, and I was very upset with it. But that's it's a flaming dirt that movie, but anyway. Two years ago, or rather three now, three years ago when the pandemic kicked in, I remember there was one evening where my roommates and I sat down and we watched Aquaman. And then at the end of it, they're like, "What? What a fuck all film! Let's watch Hera Feri." And we watched Hera Feri and had a blast over there. We all, we were falling off our couches. Some of it, the movie has. It's a sign, kar re, sign, kar. Gaan. Like everyone, in, I think this was uh, Akshay Kumar had kind of just transitioned into moving towards comedy, right? action to comedy, yeah, comedy, yeah. And like there was a phase where he he did a lot of comedy and he had great timing. Now I don't think. Ladki ka chakkar, Babu Bhaiya, ladki ka chakkar. Oh my god! Uh, I would say if anything, Sunil Chetty was probably the weak link of the movie because. He didn't have the funniest parts, and he didn't have that sort of delivery that Akshay Kumar and uh, Parish all had. But Sunil, I mean, that's just a minor gripe. Whatever the three yeah, Sunil, of them work Sunil together. Sunil Shetty's body language is his biggest part when it comes to comedy yes, yes, because yes. he's able to communicate. Like he's awkward to begin with, and <laughs> like in, it really works out in in terms of like you know a, a, a comedic angle. And of course, his voice is the way it is. So you're anyway already like laughing. So that part, that old track where Asrani tries to set Tabu up with uh, Sunil Shetty, she climbs the bus and the other guy comes to him. Hey, मुझे भी थोड़ा ऐसा rapchik mal बता। I'm just like, what is rapchik mal? Oh man! Oh my god! Yeah, clearly the I I can quote the movie even today. I haven't watched Sera Ferry in years, but it's just etched into memory. Uh, this this actually I think started that whole trend of. Uh, you know this grand confrontation of all parties in a priyadarshan movie which then you yeah. see in hangama you see in chup chupke halchal all of those movies started Mala following Mala this weekly. template of yeah everyone sort of comes together there's this everyone fights everyone in the end but hirafiri did it first and just does it to perfection there's this scene in the end where all those uh, Ompuri's guys come with Salwar yeah. and I'm like, what is yeah. happening? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> and they start chasing the cop, right? From, like, the cop is beating one of these guys up and he's like, hey, and then, <laughs> they start chasing him. It's literally very Benny Hill, right? Like the cop chases them yeah. across the screen. It's like a little 2D, he runs across the screen, cut, next scene, you show, immediately you show the cop running away from all of them. Again, it's like very Benny Hill-esque. It's hilarious. The electrocution joke is in this movie or is it in Hangama? It's in Hangama. It's in Hangama. Hangama. Yeah, right. Okay, I was confusing the two. Okay. Mm, Which is uh, also great, but I feel Hera Ferry mm, is just a notch higher. Hera Ferry is like Hera the gold Ferry standard. Hera is, is there. Yeah, go, is the gold standard. You watch it now and there are some jokes you, that you used to belly laugh at back in the day. You don't laugh anymore because time is, time is a cruel mistress. But yeah. a lot of the film still works and it's it's a lot of fun. And you mentioned it being a feel-good film for us. Peak pandemic when things were extremely shitty and no idea what was going to happen. We watched this one night and we have just fallen on the floor laughing. It was <laughs> such a great time. Great, great choice. Uh, also a quick note here. I don't know what mm. the fuck is up with the lyrics in the songs. I think the lyricist was yeah. paid only half price. Because Karunesh Talwar does a, a bit on it, right? Like I, I've yeah. seen it. 
films like this coming up um for my number 3 my i mean if you want to fill time i can just quote here afery some more just say just putting it out no no i think we're good <laughs> no, no. i think we're good <laughs> we we've done two monster one and a half hour episodes prior to this this is a nice yeah. sea change um, yeah yeah all right so let's move in into my third entry so the movie i'm talking about is is 2003's sea biscuit starring jeff bridges chris cooper elizabeth banks and this superstar at that time to be maguire because this is 2003 a year removed from from spiderman becoming this cultural phenomenon and breaking box box office records everywhere in fact this movie is sandwiched right between spiderman 2 and spiderman 1 right so mm. to be maguire is very much uh, a hot entity at this point and there's a story about the horse bro it's about the horse yeah bro i mean it's about the horse i'm about to like <laughs> a horse named sea biscuit now this is something um i didn't really catch on the first time and i mean i've seen this film multiple times growing up it was um a movie i really gravitated to and i watched nearly every summer for about a good 4 to 5 years and repeatedly we owned the dvd for it and uh, we still do own it and make it sound like we threw it away um, <laughs> and it was one of those really nice heartwarming films it's very very sugary very saccharine so to yeah, speak and it kind of yeah they allude to it in the, even the rotten tomatoes consensus but it's still such a pleasant pleasant watch you know exactly what you're getting you're getting a story of a, of a horse this underdog horse uh, a real life story that gave millions of people hope during the great depression uh, and back then i had no idea what the impact of the great depression was so it was like millions had lost their homes it is the first mm. big economic crash in 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 us history and um right the, the first big publicized one in in, in the 30s mm. and like in comes this kind of little horse who's been mistreated as a as a, as a foal um yeah. it has a weird gait all of that and then quintessential um, underdog quintessential underdog and he ends up meeting this family and there's a, there's a millionaire who's lost his his son there's a guy there's a, a jockey who lost his family in the depression 
lost his eyes basically like trying to find work and and money wherever he can uh, and this retired trainer who is just like bouncing around from place to place trying to find purpose and it brings these these people together and it tells a really nice heartwarming story for the ages i watched it 3 days ago because i hadn't seen it in some time and even though like i mentioned there are certain parts of it that are way too melodramatic and way too sugary it's still such a beautiful watch especially the the racing sequences in this film are a lot of fun i remember seeing the behind the scenes where they there's like the close ups are all mechanical horses and uh, <clears throat> the wide shots and the and the shots from behind the horses are all like they they use they use real animals but it's so well put together it has a real sense of exhilaration to them the sequence between uh, war admiral and and sea biscuit the it was considered to be a race watched by millions back in back in the yeah. day the 30s early 40s and it's so like the the sequence where he where sea biscuit and and war admiral line up side by side and and uh, i think it's it's george wolf um who who's the jockey at the time and he kind of makes sure that sea biscuit sees the other horse in the eye and then he turns to the other jockey and says so long johnny and then bursts through it's it's this real like this crowd pleaser moment right back in the day when crowd pleaser moments were i i really love that device now that you reminded me of it it's just that whole even sea biscuit knows he's an underdog and he's spurred by when he looks at somebody else and he feels that you know fuck that other horse sort of energy sea biscuit yeah. is spurred to overachieve from that energy it, i love the way they they narrated that it's lovely basically see biscuit uh, died and then his spirit was uh, passed through the ether and some of it went into michael jordan and <laughs> yeah, pretty much somebody very very somebody, very jordan esque you're absolutely right. very jordan esque right in terms of like like very much that uh, never say if that you're goading me i'll only do better that way better exactly yeah so it's it's a a fun very beautiful ple- pleasant film to uh, to watch Uh, I haven't seen it in some time. I'm really glad I went back and watched it, and I'll probably watch it again in a few um, months or even within the within the year. Who knows? I it's now. I think it's streaming on on Amazon. So mm-hmm. definitely go check it out. It's worth watching. Great performances by everybody, specifically Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges yeah. is uh, is really nice in the film, and there's that and there's a one one line of dialogue that really sticks out, um, and it. kind of is like a signal to to those going through troubling troubling times like you don't throw a whole life away just cuz of you're, you're banged up a little uh and that really stuck with me and i was like wow that that seems to have gotten more profound with age mm-hmm. um and i really appreciate the film i really like the film gary ross has since gone on to direct a bunch of hunger games films he directed pleasantville which is a movie i quite like as well um i i i mean i like the soundtrack for it a lot more than i do i like the movie uh, the movie the piano apples cover of across the universe is amazing but coming back to gary ross this is this is a really nice pleasant watch i feel like i'm repeating myself at this point go check it out if you haven't already have I you seen really like the yeah, yeah i saw it i think around the time only 2005 6 not the year mm-hmm. of release but again i had seen mm-hmm. it on tv I really like the ending scene of the movie. It's that slow motion of him. Mm. The uh, race, the last half of the race is pretty much in slow motion, right? It's yeah. And there's a voiceover of Tobey Maguire saying, "I think, kind of, 
putting the movie like, to tying the bow yeah. on the movie together it's like tying yeah, the bow says, on the movie. i think i think the, the line he says is uh, he didn't we didn't fix him he fixed us yeah something like that. it's a little sappy you're right it, it is a saccharine yeah. sort of uh, message that they put there but it works you it really it, does you know it's uh, another movie similar movie that comes to mind is the majestic starring jim carrey mm-hmm. it's an mm-hmm. it's an out, overtly emotional outright saccharine movie but that's it's okay it works that's what we that, that's what we want from that movie watching experience so mm-hmm. you know you don't feel bad and uh, the other Ooh, thing is that's, I, that's another jim carrey movie we forgot i put it up on the, the majestic song. yeah yeah not majestic i really like the majestic uh, for for feel good a part 3 we can mm-hmm. include it i can include eternal sunshine because it's also a movie i watch repeatedly i don't know if that's feel good though it's rewatchable it's not feel yeah. good yeah good, i yeah. guess yeah eh, it, it's it's a audio is joining to a happy ending i guess yeah okay so but uh, coming back to this mm-hmm. uh, also i feel while it is air quotes based on a true story um mm-hmm. i i feel the whole underdog aspect while it was definitely present has been embellished a lot more because if you now go back and read the article on sea biscuit the horse mm-hmm. uh he had you know once he did start winning he won a lot of races and he's up yeah. there in terms of the greatest horses that uh in the history of racing war war admiral mm-hmm. obviously is up there the sea biscuit there's couple more i'm not remembering their names man of war uh, i think is another man of war yes man of war is one yeah. more correct that that's the one i was thinking mm-hmm. of so sea biscuit is up there in terms of like he may not be ali but he's probably mm-hmm. a mike tyson so yeah. you know it's it, it's not like he's not exactly rocky mars he's not rocky from rocky he is a known quantity mm-hmm. so I, i guess he started out as an underdog but he wasn't really an underdog forever so yeah obviously to kind of highlight the the ray of hope that he probably was in the great depression they overplayed or played up that aspect of him because in times of hardship who doesn't love an, a good underdog story exactly uh, yeah. so yeah the movie takes its liberties with the uh, reality but you're okay with it you're okay with the movie yeah, it's it's a movie right like you're doing your you have to set up yeah you're not um, here to make a documentary it's it's, it's yeah you need to set up like points of drama correct exactly it's a way to deliver your vision of a story so it works that way again a really nice movie a uh, little slow maybe but uh, you it you, it's definitely worth a uh, worth a watch the, the, the last 30 minutes for sure i think after the war admiral sequence it kind of like slows down a lot yeah. like yeah. a lot uh but the up to up until then it's just keep sticking and yeah like it's it's a movie with that we that you can watch and and have a good time with when you're like you're just settling down for the evening and and need something yeah, yeah. that's not too uh, um emotionally draining yeah true great so coming to the last of my movies uh now i'm going to jump forward to 2014 we're going to talk about uh, i mean when you were talking about oceans 11 and the star studded cast i was reminded of this movie that i'm going to talk about which is uh, 2014's grand budapest hotel mm-hmm. uh, again a very studded star studded cast has uh, ralph rail oh, sorry mm-hmm. a very star studded cast has uh, rail finds it has uh, tony cicero yeah tell tony me tell cicero. me Tony Cicero, uh, F. Murray Abraham, uh, Sasha Ronan, Edward Norton, William Defoe, Adrian Brody, 
Kate Blanchett in a kind of a blink and miss you miss blink it and role. miss yeah is that Kate no is that Kate Blanchett or is that Tilda Swinton oh Tilda Swinton Tilda Swinton sorry ah oh, damn it I always make this mistake so it's Tilda Swinton yeah and uh, I'm sure I'm missing out this is it's a yeah but it is a fairly stacked cast um, personally I people have very uh, varying opinions on this. and uh, mm-hmm. maybe mine is the most mainstream opinion so to speak but this is my favorite wes anderson film i would say moonrise is kingdom my is favorite. a close second yeah, yeah. Uh, people some people prefer royal tenenbaums the the true hipsters prefer something like a life aquatic of steve zissou i don't know but uh, i i like grand budapest hotel because story is my simple. favorite wes anderson film yeah yeah it's and the cinematography the framing is peak wes anderson i would say it's where he's perfected it and i feel it is at that stage of you know the wes anderson life cycle where people had not started getting sick of it like yeah. hey i i like this setting i like the pastel color palette of of the movie as well uh i would say of all his color palettes again i would say moonrise kingdom is a close second but i like budapest brand grand budapest hotel's uh, color palette so the whole aesthetic side of wes anderson it ticks all the boxes uh but it, this one also has a great story great characters memorable dialogues uh the whole uh rail finds track is just insane him and that uh his assistant the or bell, the bell, bell boy hop, yeah bell hop it's it's a lovely uh uh you know the whole story track uh everything ties in together quite well that doesn't necessarily always happen satisfactorily in wes anderson movies for example yeah. french dispatch i did not like it was a drag Uh, I feel like French Dispatch was, uh, in a way, almost too much Wes Anderson. It was like, bro, really exactly, which is what I was mentioning, right? Grand Budapest mm-hmm. is at that stage where, hey, this this much Wes Anderson is good. French yeah. Dispatch was too much Wes Anderson. Similarly, I am like, I saw the trailer for Asteroid City. I saw the cast. I was like, this feels a bit too Wes Andersony. I'm a little apprehensive about how the movie is going to be. but mm. uh, I'm, i'm curious but yeah, i'm always curious about wes anderson uh films but yeah you saw i think i've generally had a bit of wes anderson fatigue as well like, yeah okay i get it why don't you try something new i get it oh full front okay you want to frame it yes we know you can do that but is there something else you can do or is this just your stick i know i'm sounding mm-hmm. a bit harsh but maybe i'm just having wes anderson fatigue at this point this was yeah, pre wes anderson I'm, fatigue so i really like grand budapest hotel I think in spite of me having watched French, French Dispatch and I was like watching through it and there's and there's a sequence in the latter half about a robbery or like a rescue thing and I was and it has such tintin vibes and I just sitting in the audience and telling myself give Wes Anderson the rights to make tintin that will be so good like it's yeah, he has the aesthetic for it yeah. yeah if he makes an animated tintin don't don't even have to do like a live action make the animated tintin go crazy it it Wes Anderson look- can actually make the scenes transition in that comic book format you know like yeah. pan out or like zoom out and then mm. move to the next frame with white space in between i can totally see that happening i'm i'm very curious uh, to see if that if that ever materializes grand budapest for me is my favorite wes anderson film followed by closely by fantastic mr fox uh, which mm-hmm. i i truly adore it's it's a stop motion film with with the insanely talented voice cast but it's such a fun uh, film 
it's one of my favorite Roald Dahl stories um, from a child. It was my first Roald Dahl story. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense of um, nostalgia attached to it, but it's it's so well done and very different from how the story is told in the book. Um, but Grand Budapest is the perfect Wes Anderson film, in my opinion. It has the right amount of style. It has the right amount of humor. Everything yes. ties in so beautifully. It's just this this entire world he creates. And he has the ability to create these small little worlds um, that are these, these idiosyncratic worlds with characters mm. who function and talk in a certain way with impeccable sense of style. I think the set direction and generally the art direction in, in Grand Bud- Budapest Hotel is just phenomenal. It's, yeah. it's one of the prettiest films I've seen right down Absolutely. to the costumes. It's so well done. Um, Even those pastries, and, whatever, those cakes that Shorsaronin's character yeah. get, they're, they're mm. so beautifully made. It's just, the attention to detail in that movie is really good. And what it, what he does really well is that never does that overshadow the characters. The characters are all mm. still very fleshed out, have chemistry, connect with mm. each other. Very, it, it is my favorite, like I mentioned, like, like, like my favorite Wes Anderson film. Uh, and has immense rewatch value. I think if you were to put yeah. it on, it, it kind of brings this, this sense of lightness and the sense of joy, especially to you on, on days when you really need it. Uh, and very few films are able to capture that magic so well. And the Grand Budapest is definitely up there amongst a select few. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Like you said, I think it has the right amount of everything, not too much. It's like a Goldilocks yeah. by Sanderson films. Like just, <laughs> just right. Everything's just right. Just right. Everything, yeah. What an analogy. I've never heard that analogy being made. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think these are our uh, second set of feel-good movies. Yeah, that was uh, a comparatively a, a relatively short episode uh, given our recent track record, but I'm pleased yeah. we are, we're making slightly more shorter episodes. We'll be back again for next week. Uh, for another sequel to another episode in our pods. Yes. Keep, a, keep an eye out for that. Uh, so we'll see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. So they opened their big mouths and out came talk. Talk, talk. <laughs>